This is I'd Rather Be Right, a podcast about big ideas and better predictions. And dick jokes. Which is why this isn't financial, legal, or even dating advice. We might be rich, successful, and good-looking, but Mark Cuban hates us. So prepare to enjoy the best podcast that only awesome, charming, and attractive people like you listen to. Welcome back, everyone, to the I'd Rather Be Right podcast with Luke and Nate. How are you doing, Nate? How's uh, it up in D.C.? It's good. Uh, a little gloomy today. Uh, Here, too, actually. That's, that's kind of funny. It was nicer this uh, weekend. This weekend, it was like 70 degrees. It was 75 degrees. One day, it was 80. Are you sailing much? Uh, I sailed on Sunday on my friend's boat. Uh, we haven't quite taken out my new my boat. So that it might happen this week or next week. By April, certainly. It's just a little bit. We're kind of like day to day. Just sort of depends on the weather right now. Is uh, It's a sailboat, so do you need wind? Yes, that's the other thing. <laughs> so you need wind and you want, I mean, it's cold enough that you don't want to be on the, I mean, you can be on the boat if it's cold, but it's not fun. <laughs> right. Does it, like, do you have a motor on there in case the wind dies out or no? Yeah, we do. But I mean, okay. you, it's not, you. Unless you're going a very short distance, you're not going to just go around on the motor. Yeah. Is it, do they have boatmen weather reports? Yeah. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I mean, basically, I'm close to like, uh, you know, it's a river. So uh, the Potomac River specifically. So like, I just look for the Alexander weather and that generally has enough information for me. Occasionally, if it's really windy, I need to see if it has a small craft advisory or something like that. Okay. But, How are there, is there a season for boating or is it kind of, you can go out whenever? I mean, here, I mean, you can technically go out wherever, but April to end of October for sure. Sometimes as late as November. Uh, th- then by the time you hit December, it starts to get much colder. And then, and then, uh, yeah. And it starts again by April, but again, in the middle of March, you can sometimes go sort of depends on the weather. So, Yeah. I mean, the other issue is that it's cold in the water. I mean, that's the other thing. Like, so if you fall in the water right, right now, um, it could be like forty degrees. So, like, you could get hypothermia oh if you like fell in real uh, fast. Yeah, do people fall in? I mean, it happens. I mean, it's yeah. I've never fallen off my boat, uh, or no one's ever fallen off my boat uh, at all. Certainly not unintentionally. People jumped off it, but no one's actually fallen off of it. But it happens. It's not unheard of. Yeah. Because yeah. you're working, because do you have you have to like work it? Is, do you have one of those sailboats or is it not? Yeah, yeah, everything. Yeah, yep. You got to pull everything. Yeah, so it's like you're like you go out and then you get somewhere and then you kind of chill, so you don't have to work. But the other times you're like pull this way, pull that way. I mean, no, we're just. I mean, we're sailing the whole time usually, yeah. uh, unless we're going swimming somewhere. Nice. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I mean, I think it's not that hard. It's work, but it's not like it's not too difficult. Like mm-hmm. I I sail alone sometimes, so. Uh, so it's not it's not possible. In so fact, in some ways, sewing alone is kind of fun. So if you don't show up for the podcast, you probably fell off your boat and drowned. <laughs> <laughs> yes, let's go with that. <laughs> That's funny. What do you just stay on the river the whole time? It doesn't go to that. You're not. It doesn't go to an ocean or anything, right? No, no, no. We're all the way up in D.C. on the um, just under 
across from National Harbor, for those that know where that is in Alexandria, but it's just outside DC. So we're, you know, I'd probably be two day sail before I even hit the Chesapeake. Oh, wow. And then, oh, wow. and then Chesapeake from there, I get to go further down a little bit before I hit the ocean. So, oh, dang. Do you have any sailing idols? <laughs> I do not. Any, are there are people out there that are like, man, that dude, he knows how to sail. Like, I mean, my grandfather, does that count? I guess that counts. Yeah. I mean, that counts. I guess I don't know. Cause like, I have friends that are into all kinds of stuff. And they're always like, oh, dude, this guy, like, I have this one friend. He's into, uh, like, backpacking, I get, like, really far, you know? And it's like, they're all obsessed with, like, how many grams are in your backpack? And like, oh, this dude goes so far on, like, so few grams. It's crazy. Just, so I don't <laughs> know if they have, like, oh, dude, this dude sails. He goes I to mean, Chesapeake, like, it's nothing. I mean, there are people like that, but uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know the famous sailors. I'm not yeah. that quite. You're just, quite to, that. you're just trying to kick it. I know. I'm just, yeah, trying to have a good time. Are there, around. are you, what are the, is it like, uh, not rural, but I mean, is it like very nature filled where you sail or are you like surrounded by cities? No, I mean, we're okay. So we're 20 minutes outside DC. Uh, and where we are, it's, you know, along the river, it's mostly trees with some, with a few like, houses there's no like apartment complexes like those are further up into uh alexandria or washington dc but we have you know we have a good amount of houses like that border the river all up and down right. the river and they all probably have boats and stuff is that where yeah. fancy people are yeah yeah that's exactly where the fancy people are <laughs> I see. Uh, they're sitting out drinking on their porch, like, oh, these poor people riding through our water. <laughs> exactly. They all that, like, yeah, beach, uh, like beachfront access to the river, and yeah, and me like a poor person, I have to go to the marina. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that. Yeah, I don't know if that's too poor. I mean, well, I know that's kind of hilarious. That's kind of like I'm super poor. I have to yeah, go to the marina. I, know. Oh, I have to go to the marina to get my boat. <laughs> have you seen? Uh, have you seen that movie Us? Uh, no, I haven't. Oh, I was just—they have like they like rent a house and there's like a marina in the back. I wonder <laughs> if it was kind of like that. And it's like, and then they like go and get on the boat, and then they go to their friend's house. Like, they have a marina in the back. I was just like, dang, this is like—I mean, it's a horror movie, so it's not like, but it is kind of about, I guess, the rich and the poor kind of thing. So it's like they're all like fancy, and they all get murdered. <laughs> Have you seen uh the, the show Outer Banks on uh, Netflix? Like, uh-huh. like there's these. So it's like set in obviously the Outer Banks. I think it was actually filmed in uh like Ty- maybe I want to say it was Georgia. Um, but it's kind of the uh, but it's you know the poor people are still all have boats. It's just like the crappier boats. <laughs> uh, yes, <laughs> like like the crappy fishy boats, and then everyone else has like uh you know, the nice speedboats and stuff. And that's the whole idea. Like, and the group that you're following is obviously the poor group. Uh-huh, uh, the poor group with the boats. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's hilarious. We don't have any water out here. So like marina and boats and water, like we have a, we have like a pretty big lake, but it's probably two hours or two and a half hours away from here. And people go there and I see people coming back with their boats. And I'm like, really? Like, you're gonna go all that way just to like run like i don't know it seems crazy so it's like completely alien to me that people even have boats or have water like growing up with water as like a regular part of like your life and your culture is so alien to me i've like no idea what that's like it's so you know what i mean yeah 
like that greenery or like we can go down to the creek or we can go to the or the bay or whatever like oh like you know growing up there's all someone probably already always had a boat or someone knew someone with a boat and you probably spent a lot of times on boats and just like like what do you mean water like you go to the water regularly for us it's like you have to drive pretty far i would say it's pretty uncommon around here to have access to a boat which is sort of why it's cool to have one over here Mm -hmm. um unlike say go to annapolis which is you know uh an hour further away, like everyone owns a boat over there, right? Right. So like you know, in order to be cool is. and have a nice sailboat, you gotta have like a really nice sailboat. Like right. even having a sailboat on Potomac is pretty un- unique. I don't right. know anyone who owns a sailboat except for the people I met through the marina. Like before that I didn't know anyone. Yeah. Um but in Annapolis, I'm sure like all your neighbors own a sailboat, you know? So you gotta mm-hmm. have the really nice one to have any cache yeah. value. Have any cred. Do people I guess like I, like what do you even do? Do you just like kind of go sailing and enjoy it? Do you go out and like hang out and like eat? Do you like? I mean, we eat if we bring food on it, but we uh, drink a lot. So yeah, go out. A lot and of just... happy hour sales. Yeah, and then, uh, as it gets warmer, we'll, like we'll swim off the boat in the marina and stuff like that. Yeah, that's cool. So, like oh, the man, marina that cool. I am at is is inside of a nature preserve, uh, a marsh. So it's um, oh, wow. so it's pretty clean as far as like sailing, uh, swimming goes. It's, I mean, as clean as the Potomac can be, anyway. I guess right. Um. And then the, we have like, basically, we're in like one of the top bird watching spots in Virginia. Like that's where the boat is. So like you just drink mm-hmm. in there into the evening. It's pretty fun. Watch that's all awesome. the birds come out. Like the eagles. The eagles are. We uh-huh. have two bald eagles that what? live right near the arena. Yeah. Wow, that yeah. sounds so cool. All Definitely the ducks come visit. out. The ducks <laughs> like to try to live on my boat, which is not fun. The ducks. Yeah, the ducks like there's, oh. the mama one that like likes to leave egg like lay eggs on the boat, and we're like, don't uh-huh. do that. Like we we sail this boat, go use yeah. one of the boats that don't go out. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, ducks are dirty too. I had a pet duck actually. Uh, they are man. They have the nastiest poops. It's disgusting. Yeah, there's tons and tons of poop all over the boat all the time. So we had to like constantly, I constantly pay the young guys to the work at the marina to clean it. Yeah. It's an upsell, huh? Do they just hang out there? <laughs> they just like hang, hang out there. Well, the point is, like, I've been on the boat before, like when it's just me, mm-hmm. like into the evening, um, and so I'm sitting there on the boat at the mooring, and suddenly I just look over, and these ducks are coming, coming by the boat, and they're ready to jump on their little home, and I'm just sitting there, and they one time they jumped up, the mom jumped up, was like, it was just like quack 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 quack, and like freaked out when she saw me, like jumped off, uh-huh. and then like. Took her and her little ducklings and like they swam away when they realized oh. that I was actually hanging out on their home. Uh-huh. I was like, "This is my home, not your home. This is my go, place. Go find, go find a different one." Oh, yeah, they were not happy that I uh, definitely. Yeah, so. <laughs> you kicked, you evicted them. I evicted them. I, I literally, I evicted her, uh, her babies one time, like forcibly. Oh, I came oh, in man. and she like had, she was literally on top of her eggs, like uh, keeping them warm in like the back area where like the motor is, and like. Like what else was I gonna do? So I just like threw them in the Potomac, <laughs> threw the eggs in the Potomac. Like she was never gonna come back, and I was just like, I'm not raising these things in my apartment. <laughs> right, <laughs> I'm not raising these things. Oh, man, so I was like, I was like, so I was like, I really hope that they next time go somewhere else. Yeah. Well. Oh well. I mean, stay off my boat, I guess. Yep. That's wild. Are there people that they have boats there and they never use them? Oh yeah. Yeah really wild they pay for like the slip and like the like the fee to keep the boat there but they just don't use it very often if ever yeah wow is it but it's like you said you had to like 
you got lucky, right? So it's like it's good to just hold on to it, even if you're not going to use it. I mean, yeah, it's pretty hard to get one in this area. Uh, so the slip to get a motorboat is not too too hard. I mean, you can get away with that. At that marina, it's a little hard. Uh, other marinas, it's not possible to find one. But finding a mooring is particularly difficult, especially for a sailboat. So um, a mooring is that what it's called? Yeah, mooring is like a permanent anchor. Um, uh, and you really want to be on one of those for the sailboat in that marina specifically because sailboats tend to draw more. Uh, basically, they are uh, they they go further into the water, deeper into the water, than a motorboat. And as a result, low tide gets so low that you'll often be on the ground if you're in a sailboat, unless you're in, on the mooring, which is sort of in like it's it's an area that's been dredged out and a lot deeper. So you can get out even at low tide and get in and out at low tide. It's much harder to do that if you're on the one of the slips. Right. Oh man, does that mess your boat up if you if it touches the ground? I mean, not really. I mean, it sort of sits in this mucky like mud stuff. Um, so no, I mean, you know, they're built like tanks. So no, it doesn't hurt it. It's just like you can't use it when it's sit on the ground. So right, and just grounded until till the till tides change because we was quite tidal for the river. Like it, it switches about two feet. Oh wow! To, yeah, from between high and low tide, like. Two to three feet every day. Are there seasons for that? I mean, there's probably no every day. Yeah, oh, every, every day. day. Oh, it's, wow. every, it's multiple times a day. Two to three. Right. Oh Eight. wow! So you could have low tide multiple times. So oh, I see. So if you, if you, you, it's a big problem. If two, two or three times a day, you might not be able to use your boat. Yeah, it's about every six hours. I want to say it's from like low tide to high tide. Yeah. So. Oh dang! That'd be a bummer. Yeah, it goes with the moon. So technically, it's right. where the moon is, but. Right. Yeah. yeah, that makes more sense. Because I was like, like, yeah, I just never. I was like, oh yeah, I know it goes with the moon, but then it's a river, and then does it change with the seasons? No, because the moon's with us all the time. Yeah, this is yeah, that's to do with the moon. So, uh, but uh, it's about two and a half feet, maybe difference. So that's a significant difference when you draw four feet in a river. Like, yeah. Like, so, right, because yeah, they have. They go, the why do they go so much further down? Because there's that's the where the uh, I don't know steering thing is, the rudder. Uh, oh yes, yeah, so uh, not, not really the rudder, but um, there's a it, it's called the keel, um, and it's the it's basically the big giant plate that looks like a fin that goes underneath uh right. goes underneath the subboat, and it helps keep you balanced when you're when the wind is pushing you. So like so that you'll be like the, the boat will be sideways, but you won't fall into the fall over. Without it, you don't have a balance. Oh, Think of it like it a seesaw. That, okay, because it has like that extended fin in there. Yeah, it's extended, really heavy fin. Okay, All right. I know what it looks like I in my head. Think, but I was like, oh. think of it like um, you know how the fin on the back of a uh, surfboard? It's like mm -hmm. that, but a little further in the middle. But the idea oh. is still the same. It allows you to. Uh, uh, but it like keeps you balanced when you're on the side a little bit. Oh, and that's how surfboards work too. Yeah, it's that. like similar to that, but like the surfboard is like you're never going to be quite as far over. But yeah, it's yeah. like the one in the middle. I think the surfboard have one in the middle as well. That's the one that's closer. Yeah, oh, dang. it's in the middle. Huh? I've never like I've never even been surfing either. It's all oh, yeah. rock climbing out here and snowboarding, and like I remember when I was a kid, there was a lot of. What do you call it? hang gliding? That was the craziest shit I've ever seen. Fucking people <laughs> jumping off the jumping off the mount on these on these hang glide. I was like, what are you doing? I still can't believe people do that, but we have a lot of that here. <laughs> no, no water. We're all going crazy, I guess. Jumping off of mountains. 
and rock climbing. We have okay rock climbing, but still, I think kids. someone, so, yeah, someone got eaten by like a mountain lion the other day or something. I'm just like, how do you even get, I don't know, how do you get lost and get eaten by a mountain lion, man? City's right there. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, people you, you, get lost. I'm like, how? But he got eaten by a mountain lion? I think so. Something like that. Yeah. There's every now and then there's stories of people come in from other places, maybe to visit their family and they go hiking and they get lost and then either like uh high altitude sickness or like they'll starve to death or something out there, or they'll like get attacked by animals, which is just like, to me, I mean, I'm up, I'm out there all the time, at least once a week, if not more, I don't know how. And it's like the way the mountain is, it's very, it's like, down the mountain is towards the city. Up the mountain is up the mountain. So you can see the city the, from almost. Yeah, are we talking about the Sandia mountains? Is that what we're talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah oh, wow, you remember them? That's yeah. interesting. Yeah, the water yeah, the, watermelon. The watermelon. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If you get on the other side of the mountain, that's where we do snowboarding. But I guess you could get lost out there. It's much more foresty, but at the same time, like then you you just you know like that way or whatever. If you're like facing down the mountain, to your right is the highway. So just go that way until you hit the road. <laughs> oh man, it's, you've got know, an Albuquerque trying to kill foreigners. <laughs> I don't. Well, it's crazy. Like I was, I was watching this YouTube video the other day about this hiker that got lost, and it was in Japan. They got lost, and it's because like they kept going and they missed their turnoff, and they just kept. I'm like, why would you keep going down the? Just turn around. You don't like. Just turn around. If you get lost, turn around. <laughs> <laughs> people who get hiking i'm like i don't understand dude just go back the way you came <laughs> that's probably insensitive to anyone who's never died of hiking yeah <laughs> i just i don't get it it's not i mean i there might be some places but i don't the ultimate just, blame the victim you're like the ultimate victim blamer you're just like <laughs> only when it comes to hiking only when it comes to hiking I'm like you're stupid <laughs> city's that way I wonder if we just all have, like victim blame on very specific issues. <laughs> like, like you know, I bet we do. I bet we do. Hiking is definitely one of them for me. I don't. I don't. I try not to victim. I really try not to victim blame. I don't know if I have. I don't know if I do that anywhere else. I don't know. Do you do that anywhere else? I don't know. I'm trying to think of a participant. Like, what it's, are you? It's weird, especially doing the podcast. It's like. Kind of monitoring rock, they're like, "Oh, this is why people get in trouble." <laughs> I'm just used to making jokes and a, actually, you know, just like in a small setting. Actually, like my buddy was talking about this with Trump and how it's like his like rhetoric like works, but at the same time for the rest of us it doesn't work because he's like like back in the day, his idea was like you know you would go from town to town on your train or whatever. Yeah. You pull up into the Kentucky train and be like, you know. I don't know, Lex- Lexington, Kentucky or whatever. Like Lexington's the best. Like you guys like, oh, you know what's going on. Like, hell yeah. Like vote for me. Right. And then like you go to the next town over and you're like, you know what? Fuck those people back in Lexington. They don't know what's up. You guys know what's up. You know what I mean? But it would never yeah, get Knoxville, back Knoxville, Knoxville. You're the best. Knoxville. Yeah. You're the best. Fuck Lexington. Yeah. And like, cause they didn't have this national media. And so you're used to talking in these like, Hey, like, you know, making inside jokes. But then when you're doing that on national television, it doesn't really work. And I'm noticing that a little bit here. I'm like, oh, like this is like things I would say, you know, to people like I guess locker room talk, but it's not really locker room talk. It's just like interpersonal communication talk. And they're like, oh, I probably shouldn't broadcast that. Like, 
<laughs> should, probably shouldn't like make the jokes that I would normally make that whether I, you believe them or not, but you're like, Hmm, someone might take that the wrong way. <laughs> <laughs> this is how people get in trouble. I see it yes. now. Yeah. Yeah. Just making fun of the hikers. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I'm not going to apologize for that because like, don't be dumb. It's a mountain. It's still dangerous. Like, like if you fall and break your leg, like I get it. Yes, yeah, that lost, can make more sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll get bit by a weirdly, snake. And weirdly enough, isn't there like I mean, doesn't seem like it would be that hard to get a cell phone reception out there. It's not. I normally have cell phone reception out there. You can there's probably like you can go deep enough where you don't, but I mean the cell phone towers like are on top of the mountain. Right. Yeah, yeah. So. This is hardly like this is hardly like I don't know, there's places in like Alaska where you're just not right. gonna get cell phone reception. Like you get lost and there's just no one to call. Yeah, um, yeah, it's not really like that. I, I mean, because that, okay, gonna... that's one I picked and blame the grizzly man guy, yeah. the grizzly guy who like oh, yeah. got well, killed he wanted it. Yeah, yeah like, I think he, he, he wanted to die. Like he? he nah, no, the thing is, like he overstayed more than he used to, and he ended up like the the the, the grizzlies that didn't know him apparently like mauled right. him to death or whatever. That's but crazy. I'm also like, you're hanging out with grizzlies, like you're hanging out with grizzly some, bears, dude. Like at some point, like at some point, like. Okay. Yeah. I don't have a whole lot of sympathy for that one. It's like I was talking to my I was talking to Maria, my girlfriend, the other day about it. And I was like, no, like if if monsters weren't real and like or if monsters were real or bears weren't real and someone told you about a bear, like that would be a legit monster. Like it's has the strength of like twenty men. It's two thousand like grizzly bear. Like grizzly bears it's can faster close. than you. Yeah, the grizzly bears can close like a hundred yards, much faster than you can. Yeah, and it's giant. faster than you, stronger than you. And by the way, it doesn't kill you when it's gonna eat you. It just starts eating you. You're like, what the <laughs> fuck? Alligators and crocodiles also look like monsters if you didn't know what they were. Those are definitely monsters. Yeah, they're fu- yeah, fuck them, dude. Fuck. By the way, this is also how we offend people while we insulting <laughs> like their pets. They're like, you, your yeah. pet is a monster. Dude. Well, if you have an alligator for a pet, the fuck is wrong with you? I know you probably live in Florida. And uh, you're probably not listening to the show because your IQ is really low. So <laughs> that's how we also piss off Floridians. <laughs> we're, we're going for broke here. We're going for broke. I know you used to live there. My family. We, 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 we hate hikers, people who own yeah. alligators, and Floridians. <laughs> and Floridians. Well, well and nope. I think everyone hates Floridians. I don't know. <laughs> what, what else are we going to go for? <laughs> yeah. God, my family lives in Florida. We have so I know small what enough. Like. We have such a small. Uh, uh, audience, uh, right? Uh, makeup right now that like we're making it even smaller as we insult everyone. <laughs> like I don't want. Like, I only want one super fan. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> no widespread marketability for us. No, I'm just kidding. I would sell out in a heartbeat if I could. I'm trying to get there. Yeah, how do we get big enough to sell out? Yeah, guys, audience, help us sell out. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, dude, I would sell out super quick. Like. Get as big as Joe Rogan, and like, of course, he sold out. Like, I'll sell out, I'll change the, I don't care, dude. I'll sell it to you. Like, give it a hundred million dollars, two hundred million dollars. Probably he got more like three hundred million dollars. But we do that when we're tired and do an island together, <laughs> dude. I we'll mean, a, I think we'll, so. We'll do, we'll do the podcast weekly on an island for nobody. So, this is this. So, this is my thesis, right? Like, Joe Rogan probably got three hundred million dollars for his podcast. Gary Vaynerchuk runs a company that's worth like at least two hundred million dollars. So, like, I feel like this is the way to go. That's two data points. What more do I need? What more do we need? And we are just as famous as they are. Well, we will be. I mean, they were just. We dudes. will be if I keep insulting people on Twitter. 
the way yeah, I do. Dude, seriously. Yeah, you got in a fight with Eric Weinstein today. Weinstein? Weinstein? Weinstein. Weinstein. I think it's Weinstein. But I'm not no, sure I think it's Weinstein because it's not... It's not the... It's You say it differently than that dude who got in trouble. What's What was his name? Henry Wein, Weinstein? The the movie producer? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's, yeah. I rem- that's how I remember it because he's like, you say it differently than that dude's name. It's like spelled the same, but it's like pronounced differently, I guess. I don't know. Or Epstein? Epstein? I don't know. Einstein. Um, yeah. This, I know. I can't believe he replied to you. He's. I think he's having a hard time on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Bitcoin is just tearing him a new one because he keeps like trying to lecture us on weird stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. Sort of, he's having, he's having and, a hard He's freaking out. So a lot of Bitcoiners don't like it when, specifically when famous people march in and tell us to do, um, partly because they feel it hurts Bitcoin itself, which hurts adoption. And to them, they feel Bitcoin is like so important to the world yeah. that they don't want that to impact it. And so, because like the thing is, no, what we call no coiners, people who don't own any Bitcoin often don't understand these arguments. And so they're creating what they call FUD, fear, uncertainty, and doubt by doing is that so. that what that right? means? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And these people are creating FUD maybe unintentionally by seemingly raising issues that we've often thought about much deeper than they have. Uh, and so they don't know what they're talking about. And so it's, and because they have a platform, um, they can actually be, you know, people can actually believe it. Right. Mm. Whereas if like, if some guy with like five followers spouts off, yeah. he may just ignore you <laughs> because You're who gives right. a crap, but like, that's not him. He's a much bigger. So it makes yeah. him, it makes you it makes him, people think that Bitcoin has a problem that he's trying to fix. But really, Bitcoin has no problem. It's that he has a problem and he doesn't know what he's talking about. Do you really think he's that famous though? <laughs> and he think he's. I think he's that influential that it can matter. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, I mean, the question is how much. I don't know, but like, it's certainly more than a guy with five Twitter followers. I mean, as that's we, true. We're talking about him now, so. Like, that's true. You don't think Bitcoin has any problems? <laughs> like Bitcoin has no problems. No, I won't say Bitcoin has no problems. The thing is, what we don't have is problems we haven't thought about. And certainly, whatever your new pet issue is, like we've thought about it probably much deeper than you have, and you haven't right. taken the time to learn why we think it's either less of a problem or that we're addressing it or that it's yeah. been thought about and handled in a specific way. Instead, you're just spouting off weird crap that like you've already gone on. Like There are hundreds of hours of podcasts probably on that subject matter specifically. And certainly like, and lots of essays and stuff. Like it's not like it's, this is not five years ago when there was nothing you could find. Like it's quite clearly like anything he's ever brought up. We've thought about like, that's the point. Like, mm-hmm. like, and it's been discussed. So like he can start by listening to us and instead of just spouting off on something like as if we are stu- too stupid to have thought about it. When in fact it's hundreds of hours of podcast episodes that suggest from different people that to just, <laughs> The community right. is thinking about it and is addressing it or already has addressed it. That's the other thing. Or is in the process of addressing it. Mm. Like, yeah, I don't even know. I saw the thread, but I wasn't sure what he was talking about. So I didn't really read into it. Yeah. Yeah. I thought he was talking about like index funds or something. No, he got upset about the new numeric- uh, So, So basically, it's the thing it used to measure. So the numeraire, right? It's like the um, numeraire is usually USD right now. So we measure how much things cost in USD. It becomes a measuring stick, right? And his point was like, we should find a new one for USD. And we're like, do you think Bitcoiners don't talk about when Bitcoin becomes a numeraire? When Bitcoin becomes a thing we that is measure that does the measuring? Like we talk about this all the time. We talk about the true. limits of USD, especially as USD inflates. 
yeah, we talk about how USD inflates yeah. and how it's not always a particularly good measuring stick because it changes a lot. Like, and he's like adding all this stuff as if we haven't talked about this all the time. Like we talk, Bitcoiners are obsessed with this. And I was just playing, and then he got all, all upset when someone talked down to him. And I was like, why do you get to talk down to Bit? Why do you get upset when someone talks down to you, but it's okay for you to come in and talk down to Bitcoiners as if we haven't talked about this at length, that this is an issue. And we know it's an issue because we all, because Bitcoiners believe in inflation and know therefore the value of the dollar is changing over time. But on the other hand, like we have to talk to people who aren't Bitcoiners and they all talk in USD. Like that's how they talk. Mm-hmm. Like you go talk to your parents and ask them how much something costs. Don't don't tell me they're using some other numeraire. They're using USD. No. If you ask them how much well, the house went up, they talk. Yeah. I wouldn't even use that. I mean, I'm not a Bitcoiner as far as like in your definition either. I'm just like. And the thing, is, and the thing is, I don't think I don't have Bitcoiners use the USD knowing it's imperfect. And we will often talk about what something is priced in gold. Jumping back and forth from gold to USD to point out that, like, mm-hmm. when we price it in gold, often the thing may not have gone up in value. Like, this happens to houses all the time. If you price them in gold yeah. over the historically, they have not gone up one, uh, pretty much any amount. Um, if you yeah. price them in USD, they often go up a lot. Uh, so, therefore, in that case, gold is probably a better numerator, right? It doesn't change as much, right? Yeah, but even gold has problems. Up. If we're doing gold right now, gold is losing value because it's losing value to Bitcoin. So what do we use? I yeah. don't really know. I think the answer is to constantly jump back and forth to multiple different yeah. things. But but yeah. for the context of talking to the average person who doesn't know what Bitcoin is, doesn't understand how much inflation there really is, like we're stuck talking about USD. Like that's just what we're stuck talking about. Yeah, I tried to write an article the other day for one of my clients. They sell gold, and it was it was about that gold to silver ratio basically and how you can jump from one to the other you don't even need to use um dollars you know you can like as gold goes up you can jump into gold and then if it goes down you can as the as the ratio changes and you can buy more silver with your gold and then go back and forth and kind of trade up just like we do with the u.s dollars but everyone thinks like oh you have to buy things with money right instead of like well you can actually trade asset classes between each other um and things within that asset between each other like just going from alts to alts or whatever and you can like actually if you it's kind of more complicated because we don't think that way but you can use the proportions and the ratios to actually get more and that's what you're talking about is like the proportion of gold to a house is not the same as if a house is $150,000 now it's $250,000 well if it was you know 10 ounces of gold or whatever I know it might be it might only be 10 ounces of gold exactly yeah. exactly yeah yeah that's it's pretty big in the gold world. It's funny that they're like they're the exact same. They're just Bitcoiners from fifty years ago, but they don't yeah, want to. They're Bitcoiners. They're Bitcoiners who don't realize that Bitcoin is going to eat gold. No, well they do. No, I see. I think it's. I think they do. Some realize of them do. It, By the way, some of them do, and some of them have hedged, or at least think it's possible and have hedged. Well, it's like but then there's quote. like Peter. Sch- but there's like Peter Schiff who does not believe it's happening. Well, because he may no, he does, but he makes his money selling gold. <laughs> so of course yeah, he yeah. can't. He can't his buy son, Bitcoin. His son, his son makes gold. money selling Bitcoin. So yeah, he and his son like get in fights on Twitter, and I kind of wonder if it's just all a game. Like, you know what I mean? Like yeah. they actually get in actual fights, and yeah. people are like, "Oh, Spencer, I think is his son's name." And I'm just like, "Do we really think that they're not just like texting each other, like, hey, let's start a Twitter right. fight today about Bitcoin right. and gold?" Yeah. And then, like, no, it's I the arguments if- for gold are the same as the arguments for Bitcoin, largely. It varies very, it varies a little bit, but everyone who sells gold, you can't now, you can't sell Bitcoin, so they're not gonna. Well, the thing what is, is that quote like peter schiff accepts accepts yeah. uh bitcoin on his website he says he you can't buy yeah. anything with uh bitcoin and then yet on his website you can it. pay him he'll in take bitcoin. your money 
Well, he's a business. Yeah. I actually don't. I actually don't think he still owns that website. I think he sold that, but just still, I think he has a lot of. He's that guy. You know what I mean? Anyway, I don't really want like, to talk about him because I think he's a fraud. I think he's a fraudster. When you think he's a fraud? You mean he's, do you mean you think he's a grifter? Yes, that's kind of what I mean. I mean. He's not like, a fraud. He is a businessman and sells gold. Yeah, a grifter is probably better. Uh, right. Better. I think a grifter. Yeah, I like. Like, like, yeah, more than like. He's playing that right. He's he's not really lying so much as he's like. Uh, no, like, I don't. I think he really doesn't he's, Bitcoin. He's not. I don't like. I'm not sure he's like lying the way like a normal fraudster's lying. But I do think he's a grifter, and I think it's all con His game. His incentives like, are aligned to not believe in Bitcoin, and or so even if they are, game. like he just does it through his son, right? So he hedges his bet through his son, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, or he like, gives his son money and says, "Go buy Bitcoin." That's what I'm saying. Like they're a family unit, aren't they? Like if his son gets rich, like you think his know. son's just going to let him live in a poorhouse? Like I don't know how old his son is. His son's like, like an adult, 24, 25, 26, yeah. but he's all over Maybe. in the Bitcoin world. And my point is like, is I just don't see. Yeah. And I don't see, like, I think it's like a, like, I think it's best to think of families as family units, unless there's a strong indication that they really don't care for each other. And I don't think that them fighting over Bitcoin and, and gold is actual evidence that they don't like each other. Like mm. in the long run, their family's going to be fine. Right. Yeah. Another way, let's look at how Howard Marks. How Marx literally said, I think not the most recent letter, but letter a few months back, he said, you know, in 2017, I said it was just a fad, Bitcoin. And he said, I'm, I'm, and I gotta say that I'm lucky to say that my, I could be wrong, and my son owns a meaningful amount of Bitcoin for our family. Is what he said. So his, he's thinking of his son as a family unit, like as a whole, as part of the family unit, and therefore he's covered because his his son covered it, right? His exposure, his lack of exposure to Bitcoin. That's closer to how I think about. It these things unless there's evidence that there's real schism between father and son especially think of it this way my family like is if, more i'd be more likely to fight with my family about bitcoin than they would be like good job on you for covering our family assets but that's kind of my point like i think that's actually much normal much more normal like if i got rich on bitcoin for some reason my mom never didn't buy any i got her to buy some but if she didn't and i had to like take care of her i guess i'd just take care of her you know what i mean like i'm not gonna let her live on the street and be like screw it right you're on your own. No, no, uh, no. Pull yourself up by your bootstrap, bootstraps, mom. Yeah, you should have invested huh. in Bitcoin when you had the chance. You should have done it when I told you to. Should have done it when I told. Now you got to live on the street. Now you got to live on the street. I'm gonna buy the house from you and kick you out <laughs> just you out. to rub it in. Oh my god. Yeah. And the funny thing is, there's weird families like that, like that would, yeah, you know, they're that bitter. But like, I don't, I don't guess the normal way. I think the normal one is probably just not that they're. They're not going to do that. Probably not. <laughs> Bitcoin's been disappointing me. It, it hit 60, and now it's back down. Yeah, now it's a good time to buy if you want to get in. Well, I already bought all the, all the Bitcoin I can afford, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. It really, like, man, if I had a lot of money, I could make a lot of money. I see it now. Yeah. You're like if you had a good starting point, you have a you, yeah, you, dude. You're like, man, if I had more money, like I could make so much money, <laughs> but I don't have all all that much money. So is, it's it, like is it Kendall Jenner? Is she the billionaire of the family? Is that is that the one? Yeah. And and yeah. everyone got all mad because they said she was a self-made billionaire, and people yeah. were just freaking out on Twitter, like self-made. Yeah. Like, yeah, it, it's like also Trump. Trump is another example. Born on third base and getting to home is not a particularly yeah. good, like, no, yeah. not. I mean, Kendall, she did leverage social media differently than the rest of her family did, and that she like she actually started a company, right? Yeah, I would say I would say when you're that 
connected. Yeah. It's not that it's, you can't say self-made in the way no. that other people no. came from. Nothing. But I mean, but if with that extreme, I mean, it's, no it's, it's not, it's not that we shouldn't give her compliments for it. It's just that we should probably not sure. use the word self-made. Yeah. But no one's self-made. I mean, really. yeah, no one is, but there's other people that are much closer to that definition than she is. Like who, a lot more. Who, who do you think? I don't know. Mark Cuban, like his family wasn't rich or anything. Like, oh. I mean, Bill Gates, his family was middle class lawyers or something. I mean, or upper class lawyers, I and mean, they were a little bit closer yeah. to that. Yeah, I mean, I would say it's still not, still born on two and a half bases, right? But Jeff Bezos, then. But he also got much further. Yeah, he got much further. I mean, honestly, the people that do tend to be the best come from middle class or upper middle class class, like uh, yeah, um, upper middle, probably upper middle class or lower upper class is probably what I think of it. Like that. Yeah, range. it's like they have resources, but they still have to like learn yeah. something and then apply. Yeah, they can get it, to a nice have school. The resources. They can get yeah. to a nice school, uh, maybe even a nice uh, um, high school. But they still have to, but the, yeah, and they can get a good loan from their family to start things. Right. But that's about it. And, and the other benefit yeah. is they get to like guarantee that they won't end up in the poorhouse if they take if they take a, you know, if they whiff in the yeah. end. Yeah, that's um, big, right? I, the whole thing about the other thing is I think about uh, uh, Steve Jobs and Apple starting in, in a garage, like like that mean he, he they had no rent to deal with, right? Right. Like they knew where they were going to sleep at night, and they had no rent for the business for a while. Mm-hmm. That's actually a pretty good safety net. Uh, yeah. You also see, like, I mean, you know, Facebook was started in school. I think that's a kind of similar. Like, if your right. parents are paying for school or student loans are paying for school, as far as the house goes, but like, you lease your housing's covered, right? Uh, right. You, you don't have to worry about that. Um, right. And your board is probably covered, you know, room and board, right? So you can sleep and you know you're going to eat. Mm-hmm. That's not a bad. And then if you're going to start a software company, you don't need like big, giant, like, warehouse yeah, man. to put in equipment or something and you don't need yeah. to pay for equipment either outside the computer you own pretty much yeah yeah i wish i was like i wish i was more i don't know those, those coders man you can just make some stuff and like by yourself and it could just like make you so much money yeah in a different life i probably would have gone back and done a coding um i really wish or at least done yeah. more of it maybe i still wouldn't have ended up doing that but i wish i'd learned enough to actually be competent at it yeah, uh, I've done a little tiny bit of it. I kind of consider doing it now, even to be honest, just to get a little bit more active in the Bitcoin world. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I know coding, but I don't even I don't even really look at the code for most of the cryptocurrencies. I'm like, I get how it works. I don't really care about the nitty gritty. Unfortunately, some yeah. of them I do, but Bitcoin, like Bitcoin's pretty solid. But most of them, I don't even like. I don't even know. I'm not even gonna look into that. It gets it gets really complicated. I have a friend who works in crypto who told me I should take Jimmy Song's uh, class. He's a coder on Bitcoin. He's like, oh, you, really? he's like, you don't even have to be a coder. I'm like, really? And he's like, no. And I'm like, and he's like, you're a lawyer. You should just take it. You can probably be yeah. one of the top cryptocurrency lawyers yeah. in the country because he's like, there's no one really in the space at all right now. Yeah, that's and true. I, and then apparently he emailed like Jimmy and asked, hey, would this would it be okay if this kind of guy took it? And he's like, yeah, but I mean, I'd pay him three k. So I, you know, I'd say yes too. <laughs> <laughs> even if I'm yeah. not going to get that much out of it, like, but like, yeah. I'm like, am I going to get anything valuable out of it? If I don't even like, if I understand the very, very basic coding and nothing more than that, dude, maybe like, you should start a Bitcoin law or a cryptocurrency law shop or something. I don't know what you would do. I just tell people, yes, you have to report your crypto on your taxes. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. You just deal with those calls every day, all day. Like, Honestly, there's a lot of regulatory stuff going on, like. Caitlin Long, in my in my opinion, is probably the best in that space as far as the legal goes. Um, not necessarily tax, but like legal. I'm sure she knows that too. But she does all the regulatory stuff. 
Oh, really? Name's Kate Long. Yeah, she works with she worked with Wyoming to like set up the first state that kind of allowed people to register as a bank for crypto and stuff like that. Huh. I don't think I ever heard of her. That's crazy. Yeah. That's yeah. like they're actually doing something for the community with Wyoming. Yeah, Wyoming. Yeah, Wyoming's becoming a hot, like a hot. Uh, well, the other thing is, uh, is it Cynthia Loomis or whatever the senator from Wyoming? She owns Bitcoin. Really? Wow. Yeah. She got they, she wow. got in there partly because of the Bitcoiners. Bitcoiners all donated to her campaign. I won't. I That's probably would never donate to her campaign because she's she was too friendly for Trump, in my opinion. And oh, yeah, Wyoming, like anyone who supports cool. that like election crap is just like I don't really care about your rest of your platform. As much as I love Bitcoin and I want good rigs for Bitcoin, I just can't do it. No, like, dude, I think- those people. Fuck those people. Like all of them, who's like election and the. Uh, Denying the whatever <laughs> insurrection results. and stuff, like yeah. dude, dude, we need to take all those people out. Oh, yep. That drives me. That drives me insane. And yeah. then McConnell. <coughs> Excuse oh me. yeah, he just needs, he just needs to go because he's a horrible human being for no other yeah, reason. Yeah, I was like, don't, just, don't get rid just, of the filibuster, he, or I'll grind happily, the city to a halt. <laughs> yeah, he'll happily destroy the democracy in order to retain it, just to sliver more power. Like Happily, that's how it, that's who he is. Like no he won't even do it without. A, he won't do it with this. He do it without a second thought, which is kind he's of. Already, he's, he's, he's already tried. He's literally already doing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, so fuck that guy. <laughs> yeah, not a fan. Um, By the way, should we talk about um, my idea for unions? I think we were talking about that. Yeah, yeah, it's one. on the thing. Yeah, go for it. What's your idea for unions that they should uh, be outlawed okay. and uh, we should move to pure free market libertarianism? Yeah, no. <laughs> as, I t- as I told you, I, I, I back in the whatever podcast that was, I think it was the Bitcoin Inequality podcast. That's um, a, yeah, the last one. Uh, I do believe that unions. Unions never pop up for like no reason at all. They pop up because there's some issue that needs to be resolved. Basically, a company is treating employees wrong some way. Like mm-hmm. no one decides just to start a union if the company's already treating you well. Like that's not a mm-hmm. thing. Um, we do it because you know employees do it. They gather together because the company or the organization, whether it's like the teachers, like aren't treating them in ways that they believe should be you know, fairly taught, uh, it should be treated fairly, right? And they're not being treated that way. It's what they feel. So I do believe they have done useful things. My issue with unions is that they often grow to be so powerful, they end up doing the same problem. They become the Mitch McConnells of the world and try to defend their power more than actually realizing that the industry yeah. or the company or the organization in question still needs to survive for them to stay employed, right? They become parasites who end up killing the host. Um, and that actually becomes the problem. So how would I solve this easy? I'd pass a law that allows, uh, unions to operate for some amount of time and then have to shut it down for some amount of time. So for instance, I'd like, I'd let unions operate for say 10 years and then they have to shut down for three and they can't do anything for three. And then after three, they can launch anytime they're ready. And then they can, the the time starts ticking again and they can operate for 10 more years. So like they'd have a set time where they had to shut down. The trick is to allow them to operate long enough that they actually gain power and then allow them and, and then to not operate for long enough for them to lose power, but not so much that they can get totally screwed by the company. So if you ran it for 10 years, I'm thinking 10 years would be enough for them to really accrue some power 
change some things um, and have some, um, and then hopefully that company, when it shut down for 10 years, would start treating them better, knowing that at any time after three years, they can start up again and run for another 10 years. And so they would hopefully act better for at least a while. And then eventually, we know the company would start abusing their employees or not communicating well with the employees. And the employees would feel the need to reopen. And as long as it's past three years, they can open it again for three years and run for another 10. And I'm open to like moving the time frames on either of those, the time it's not allowed to operate or the time it does operate. But that would be my, that'd be my pitch on how to solve that. That's really interesting. I've never heard that idea. That's really interesting, actually. Because you're right. Because it's, we, I think we saw that with, we saw that in, with, in Detroit with the car manufacturers. Like there's a lot of stories out there about how the union just went crazy and, two people were hired to do a one person job and they were getting paid $90 an hour and it kind yep. of killed the industry. And there's, you know, people aren't really happy with the teachers union in LA right now. And then police unions are kind of out of control as well. That's a separate thing, but there, there are like a lot of reasons for unions sometimes for sure. And then, but to give them a time limit, that's really interesting. I had never, never thought about that. Huh, that's really that's really interesting. They can get in, raise wages, raise promotions, but then they can't get out of control. Yep. The, the idea is to kill them before they're out of control, but allow them to last long enough <laughs> to get some stuff done, real stuff right. done. And then allow them to not to lose that power over a period of time, but not so much for so long that the company organization can totally abuse them in that time frame that they're not allowed to operate. The good thing is we do. So like three years seems about right for like killing it for not working. Okay, they can't work for three years. They can't operate for three years. But then ten years seems long enough that you could get a lot of stuff done. But yeah. ten years is like like ten years. The first ten years of a union, I, I would be skeptical that they ever get so big they become parasitic. Yeah, because I, I mean, I know they're trying to unionize at Amazon right now, but Amazon pays almost the most out of any other company base at the baseline. I guess they have maybe hard working conditions. I'm not sure like why they would want to unionize or why i mean i know why a company wouldn't want them to unionize right but that that's kind of interesting but then there's other companies where it seems like when i've looked in the it's like oh well we're not getting paid enough we're not getting promoted enough which just seems like if you could just fix those things in general you'd have a lot fewer needs for unions it's kind of what everyone is mad about and yeah. i think everything can boil down and i'm not getting paid enough i'm not getting promoted enough and the eternal threat hanging over their head that they could start a unit. So some states don't allow you to start a union, right? For instance, really? Um, yeah, there's a place where you can't start a union. Um, wow. But this would like be an eternal threat that they could start the union, right? So you treat them more well. And then the other thing is, hopefully, it would just in that ten years that you're working together, hopefully they learn the company learns something about good communication because I think some of that's a lot of this comes down to just really bad communication. Like yeah. sometimes they actually are treating people badly, but other times they're just not communicating that like our business mm -hmm. is not doing well, or our industry is really suffering, and like yeah. they're not willing to open the books and explain this. Mm -hmm. And so they just leave people. You know, part of it is because they don't want to look bad to like investors or whatever else or mm -hmm. Wall Street. But as a result, they also look bad to the employees who right. are probably not reading deep on their financials. Like, do you expect the average floor work, uh, like? Uh, no. like factory worker to read deep into financials and understand it. <laughs> like, right. Like you yeah. have to do both of those things. So both of those things have yeah. to be true. Um, That's true. And if they could just get better at communicating sometimes, I think that would help a lot. 
Um, yeah, I think about this a lot because I, I run a business and I don't have any like full time employees, but I do think about like how would I handle it one day if they like if I do have employees one day and they want to raise, but like we're not making enough, or it's like, but then you have to like open the financials and open be like, books. oh, open the books. See, we're not. I know, but then you have to be like, well, we're not making. It. Like, oh, well, you have four million dollars in the bank, right? But that's like good financial practices in case like we don't make enough money and then like you guys don't lose your jobs but it's like i don't know i wonder if people are scared to open that up because then you're gonna have pushback and ideas that you're gonna have to defend and say no to from people that might not well, the other thing is you might be forced yep. to make promises but that's not a bad thing either like okay if we can raise this up to where we're making blah 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 amount in profit or this much in revenue yeah you know we can piece off a little bit more and give you uh peel off a little bit more to give you guys raises or lasting as long as that's true or something or bonuses or whatever. But I, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I think the answer is to be more honest and, and then about like two things about the finances, but also how a business really runs. Cause a lot of people don't know how a business runs because right. they never needed to. Right. Like yeah. if you don't know the, if you're not the, it's like, we don't treat, we don't teach basic financial literacy, but you also don't teach basic business literacy either. Like, right. like that's yeah. not something that's ever taught. I know. So it's so true. I had to learn, I had to study for so long to learn that, like on my own, no one teaches. I don't even know if they teach really. I mean, I guess maybe an MBA school. It sounds, it seems like they kind of get into it, but I've met a lot of MBAs. They don't, they barely know anything to be honest. Yep. I and like, that. I even like, I don't know. I've like worked with a lot of MBAs. I've worked with a lot of people at master's degrees, very advanced degrees. So I'm like, come on, man. That's like, there's definitely a break between academia and like the real world. Even now, like they can get it. It's like the difference I've noticed is like they have the capacity to understand. They just might not have heard the information. And so then you try to talk to someone who doesn't have any of those, who's just like the laborer, which is like my term for just anyone doing like the work. Um, doesn't mean like physical labor or anything. It's they have no idea. They're like, why are we not getting raises or why is this not happening? It's like, well, because have you seen, like, have you done the math? Like, we're bringing in two million a year and uh, labor just you know, average it out. Oh, labor is 1.5 million a year. There's $500,000 left. And those are going to, you know, who knows? Like, well, and cause you know, there's some error in your salary cause you don't necessarily know how much everyone makes and you're not really going to do the math that hardcore. And like, there's no, there's no money, man. Like, oh, and how many, oh, but we're getting more clients. Sure. But then we're also losing clients. Like, oh, that averages out. Okay. There's literally no money here. So don't even ask for the raise. Like I can do the math myself. Isn't that called the churn or, or the turn? Is it turn or churn? Which is the churn email? for uh, clients? Yeah, churn. Yeah, for the clients. Like, yeah, how often you mm -hmm. get? So it's basically how many new you're on board, uh, subtracted by how many you're losing. So they kind of like how much right. overturning. Yeah, it's a big problem for a lot of companies. That's a hard like. What I've noticed in my in the business world is it's actually fairly easy to get new clients. Like you can pretty you can convince a lot of businesses to give you those first couple of checks. But keeping them on for 12, 24, 36, 48 months, that gets, it almost gets exponentially harder. Uh, and that like, that can be really hard. Cause that, that has more, cause like sales is pretty well understood. You can get really good salespeople. It's a science that we understand, if you will. I mean, it's not really a science, but like, do you, you can, think, do you think you keeping them is much more like uh, having, like being in a long term relationship? Isn't that kind of like what it keeping is? Keeping them has more to do with hiring the right laborers and i i just say that like in the way i kind of view business there's like the idea people and then there's people who execute the ideas and they're yeah. the laborers and they're like the idea people and so like i'm a laborer for all intents and purposes but it's like you have to hire people 
who are really good at their job, but a lot of it is like ongoing sales. Like most of my job in my last, in most of my businesses is having weekly or biweekly or monthly meetings with these clients and keeping them sold on the idea, keeping them paying, keeping them, Hey, we did this. Next thing is this. We did this. Next thing is this and getting them excited about it. And just like doing that over and over again for months on end. And hopefully you actually have a good product that actually does work. But sometimes then people will think, Oh, well, like it's, this is the craziest thing that happens is like, you'll, you'll sell a company, a product, it'll work for 12 months. And then they go, well, we're really good at this. We don't need you anymore. And like, no, 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 no. Like we're doing that. Right. Or like someone drops the ball. And then if you drop the ball too many times, it's really all about human relationships. And it's like, how much capital do you get with that person? And then how, like, what do you spend that capital on? And if you spend it too much on mistakes, that's not great. Right. Or if you spend it not on doing what you promised, that's not great. But that's a much more different and more difficult problem than actually getting clients. I could get, I mean, put me in front of almost anyone and I could probably get them to give me a check, at least for a couple of months. But now can you execute on that? Can you actually do the work of doing what you promised? In the under-promise, over-deliver framework, it's the harder part is the over-delivering to keep them happy. It's hard. Yeah, it's really hard to, it's really hard to deliver at all. In a lot of businesses, because like you, you're really relying on kind of going back, like you're relying on a lot of different people that have different that own different pieces of a business that necessarily don't necessarily see how it all fits together. They might not necessarily be passionate about it. You have to deal with all their stuff, right? And so it's like it really comes down to leadership, but it's like it can be hard to like make this orchestra work and kind of come together to make your client happy, which is at the end of the day the ultimate goal. Um, and, and it's like, and people, it seems like clients, they have about a year, 18 months of patience and a business can really, they can pay you about two to five to 10 grand a month for about 18 months. And then if you really haven't like really haven't proven your worth, like it's going to be hard to retain them. And that's where a lot of businesses fail is they fail at that 18th month mark, but they didn't fail at that mark. They failed at month seven through 13. You know what I mean? And like, that's what I've noticed. It's like when you don't realize, you're like, that oh, really, I missed that. Actually, that really is about the same time frame as like a new relationship. Uh, yeah. So, you know, you, you tend to fail. So there's a couple of times they fail. They fail at the six month mark. And then the two to three uh, year mark is a, there's, there's often a breakup point. And the other, the other breakup point is obviously the seven year itch. And this all goes right. back to like biology and like when our mm-hmm. chemicals go up. But I kind of makes sense to me that you can skate for about a year on like just the yeah. promise the promise that is coming and that this thing will work. And then, yeah, but then they, but then a shiny new object, it actually, I'm in marketing. It happens a lot in marketing because a lot of marketers are very patients in that time. Yep. And you know, there's a lot of over promising in marketing, but also like, there's a lot of like dead on promising. And then the client kind of drops the ball. That happens a lot too, where, uh, we do X, we can definitely do Y and then they don't do X. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, here's, yeah, here's all this stuff that we need you to approve and they don't approve it. They don't approve it for four weeks and now we're dead in the water and okay, well now we need to shift focus. And you're like, but you didn't even, we didn't even get going with plan a cause you started dropping the ball and like, and it just, cause CEOs are very busy. Like what I've learned about CEOs in my dealing That's with, like, sort of the equivalent so of what, managing up, I guess. Cause when you're like managing yeah. a client. Yeah, you really got to manage them. You really got to like it's weird. It's almost like I'm the the boss of the CEOs, right? I oh, got to yeah, no, like no, you, 
I was thinking that like they're the boss, and it's how do you deal with? Um, exactly. Man- I think I think they call it managing up. When how do I manage the expectations of my boss, and how do I yeah. and what I need from my boss to get my work done, and how do I right. have a relation, build that relationship? Um, right. But you gotta you gotta like check in on them because like, how often do you guys check in? Like, what's the normal? So I, I'll tell you, like for my for instance, I'm in a you know I'm not in a business, but I'm in the context of boss. Mm-hmm employee kind of thing and we had we always had a so for a while there was one point where we didn't have any standing meetings and we just sort of made them up on the fly and it, we got so out of sync and then uh i think it was two months i didn't go in the office which wasn't the issue the issue was yeah. like he didn't even know what i was working on he just knew i was getting stuff done <laughs> and i actually was he was like okay this got a little out of control and so then so then we started having like bi-weekly meetings and finally we just settled on once a week tuesday yeah. and it was one day i always try to get in the office so i could have it in person before COVID. this all before COVID. <laughs> then COVID hit and specifically during lockdown, like when we were like weren't even leaving the apartment, I realized I didn't I'd wake up and I didn't know what day it was. Like, right. like yeah. and getting work done in that context and always marching forward was hard when it was only once a week. So we started to do we had one that blocked out for a half hour on Tuesday, which allows me to answer any questions that come on, on Friday and kind of see where the week is going. And then we'd have a short 15 minute one on eleven o'clock. So just before noon time on Friday. And like that just sort of gave me an update of everything I I did get done, all the mm. stuff that went sideways because new stuff came in. Mm. Uh, and then it also just gave me a framework for the week. So that like I had some sort of framework because right. we had none in that two month window. Yeah. And I found out that that was about the optimal. And finally, it was me who suggested the 15 minute. I said, look, I'm getting out of control here. Like I just don't even know what day it's even Saturday. Like I woke mm-hmm. up on Saturday and Sunday thinking I have to go to work. Uh, yeah. I was like, can we just add partly just a framework and to make sure that I'm always marching forward and I've got something to prove, you know, them getting stuff done for Friday. And it's like, yeah, let's do that. So that's actually helped quite a lot. But finding that right check-in yeah. level yeah. was Especially really hard for me. Especially. Yeah. I had that happen so I'm wondering, like, what, what do you do for like clients? Like what's the normal check-in? What, what What's the, the optimal? So you're both happy, but you're mm-hmm. not overburdening, you're not, you know, just doing check-ins all the yeah. time, but you're also I, I personally prefer every two weeks. A lot of clients prefer weekly. I found a week isn't really enough time to uh, – you you kind of just run out of things. <laughs> if you do weekly for four months, it's like things don't – you don't quite n- – enough happens to where you need to talk about it per week. Like a lot of my work is like talk about something, send it for approval, revisions, whatever. Then, you know, maybe send it out the door. Um I find weekly and I, I find weekly with clients, not necessarily with like coworkers and employees with coworkers and employees, like an employers weekly, definitely for sure. But with clients, it's a little different. It, it seems like I don't, maybe that's just me, but it's, it feels like they almost get so comfortable with the weekly meeting that they think it's okay to then miss the weekly meeting. <laughs> and that's kind of odd. And, but if well, it's every two you- weeks, they miss it. What if you went with like the first month we go weekly and then after that we go bi-weekly until we get to like exactly. just before yep. just before the deadline, like if we're a month out from the yep. deadline, then we go back to once a week. Exactly is what, what, uh, what that's if you actually, say that yep. That's what we do. Um try to do and like weekly say, for the first quarter, if you will, and then let it go to like kind of two weeks. Um ideally. And but you definitely do need to check in because uh if you don't nothing will get done but like they also forget about you like 
it's like people just like things just you for yeah, you have got, to it's like what I've learned you have everything to else on there. They got everything yeah. else going on there. Stuff. Yeah, CEOs have a lot of stuff to do. And like my business partner, he's he was not necessarily a, a CEO, but he was like the head of the sales division of like North America or something. So he had like and, and the, the best thing you can do like, is um to help those people I found because I you know I deal a lot with having so in my context, we have I work with a lot of outside counsels kind of stuff and people like that. Mm-hmm. So we're the client, and I'm the person who is getting first of all as much as possible getting stuff out of Sean's lap, who is because he's got enough going on and letting me handle it. And then when we're doing stuff like getting contracts, like that's not something I do. I end up having to offshore that to other people. So like, um, as much as possible, getting them, getting the people who who find the contracts in contact directly with the outside counsel so that I'm not in the, like, I'm not the, the, um, the choke point. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes they start to know each other well enough that they can just go directly. Um, yeah. and I try to facilitate that as much as possible. Yeah. Um, you know, I'll, I'll do the introduction. Hey, this is, this is Marty. He's our outside counsel. If you ever ask for anything, just, you can send it directly to him. You don't have to ask me. I kind of think I'll often do that as an introduction where I make the first request. And then Marty knows he can just go directly and they know he can always request. Like, and that gets me out of the choke point a lot of times. And then a lot mm-hmm. of times Marty, unless there's something specific, he might just go directly to that, that person. Um, That's huge too. Yeah. We use that a lot where it's like, you'll have like the kind of the, I don't know, we'll call it the account executive Yep. I don't know. There's no nomenclature in, in marketing. It's annoying. But the person who's in charge of the account, and then they'll have like a, I don't know, their hands, as I think of it. There's You have like the brains and the hands. And so like you have the brains start the introduction, but then like for things like that, then you have the hands do the work and then have them send out the work for approval and receive like the feedback or whatever and then the brain should meet with the client like once or once every other week or once every week or something and then kind of but then everyone kind of and then you have like this triangle of people and then you know they're ceos so sometimes you have to send but yeah if you can have like workers talk to workers then the brains can just check in every now and then that seems to work the best because it seems like leaders like they just like they check in like is everything humming okay cool move on to my yeah, next then, thing they don't yeah, have they, time they don't have time they gotta do like everything else um yeah. and if yeah, for the record, if you guys are ever the person who has hired a, 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 um, a client to work for you, I do recommend trying to do that as much as possible. Helping them, helping you get out of the way of being a choke point as much as humanly possible, uh, and everyone else in your organization to, to not be a choke point. So, like, if suddenly they get if Marty got comfortable with that person grabbing the contracts too much that it was coming too, too much stuff was flowing through her, you know, he, he Marty as much as possible, helping Marty introduce to people in different areas in the organization and knowing where he can just go directly and letting everyone know that that's okay. That like, I don't need to be involved. I trust Marty, anything Marty he asks for, he should have complete right to have. Um, that's huge. And I do think if you guys are on that, that side of it, you should be managing that as well, because I found it just helps so much more. It helps clear your day. It helps make their life easier. Like the thing is, if we're paying Marty to do work and he's not doing work, like that's on us on some level, right? Like if he's not doing work because he's just not getting the stuff he keeps asking for, that's a problem. So we want to keep Marty working and, and, and we want to be out of the way as much as possible. What kind of work? Like, I know you're a lawyer, but like what, when things come in, is it like, hey, here's a document. Is this 
legal? And then you like read it and you go, yeah or no. Is that like a lot of what I mean, you guys do? So depends on what the issue is. So like if I'm negotiating with a client, a lot of times negotiating a client we might take on on the tax provision. So that, because I work in the tax department. So like we're making sure that who's in charge of what taxes is very clear and legal and follows the law, right? Mm. Um, and there's some negotiation around there, um, around those, especially as you go global, as you get larger than just um, one country to one country or one oh, state wow. to one state and get a little more complicated. So that's one issue. Uh, occasionally we're dealing with documents that come from the governments and are they legal and all that stuff. Um, so we negotiate those. Like sometimes we could enter those in kind of negotiations where you agree to go into an area um, as long as you hire this many people employees from that county or whatever, yeah. and they'll give you a tax property tax write-off, right? Like that kind of stuff. So we'll negotiate those contracts sometimes. Um, the other issues is like some of it just goes into like regs of like accounting regs and stuff and what we have to do. So accruing, for instance, like a tax liability. So something that we think we might owe, but we're not sure that can get into like accounting rules. Uh, and sometimes we'll need an attorney, either me or someone on the outside, you know, outside attorney to really try to assess the risk liability that exists or doesn't exist. Right. And then if so, if it's actually there and it's high enough, then we might have to recruit. Uh, and then we accrue in our financials, a reserve. And that basically says, we think we might owe this. And it's enough that we, we have decided that we're going to accrue it in our accounting. And therefore, if we actually do owe it, it doesn't surprise our financials. And then if we fail to accrue, that means we can get hit in the future. So instead, we're taking a hit now instead of a hit later. If we do, if we if we find out later we owe it and we didn't accrue, then suddenly our profit got less that, that quarter, you know? Uh, and then on the other hand, if you're accruing over accruing like that's not good either because then suddenly it looks like you're making less money than you actually are so as much as possible you're trying to be as accurate as possible and then the absolute best thing to do is get it right before you even have to accrue right like already right. pay it like if you owe yeah. it already pay it but sometimes it gets into that like it's just not quite sure maybe this maybe the law is not quite clear what we're doing may not be exactly clear yet that kind of thing there's reasons that it can happen um whether or not like we're subject to that tax may be an issue that kind of thing Wow. So, um, yeah, that sounds like just, it would get really complicated because you have counties and cities and states and countries, and you're just like, okay, well, how does this work with that? Okay, but because this is there, this is over here, and but then, oh, in this county, it's different, and this is that, this is this way. Yep. Yeah, and and like the best way to think of it is like states are like countries. Like, so the U.S. every state is sort of on fiefdom. And they all have their own little rules about what's taxable and what's not. And, and, and both from an income tax perspective, they have different rules. And then also from um, uh, sales tax, they have different rules. So like this item might be taxable or might not be taxable. Right. Or how do you source it? Like, for instance, if we're delivering a product. So say we're, okay, this happens a lot. We're delivering a product, let's say, from Virginia to a client in Texas. Whose mm -hmm. headquarters is in California? Oh, right. Like, and the service is being delivered because it's remote. Like, you know, we're not going there. We're not going to Texas. Where, but some of their client maybe even work. Maybe it gets even more complicated than that. Maybe the headquartered company has people who work in Texas, people who work in California, people who work in right. South Dakota, people who work in Maine. Right. And it's all being delivered from Virginia. Who gets the tax? Right. In that yeah. situation, like, and that's often what we're 
That's what we're dealing with. And what happens if one more than one state claims it? Says, mm-hmm. oh, it's taxable here. Yeah, like, I actually am very curious you... about that because I was in e-commerce so, for a while and obviously selling across state lines. And then it's like California was like, well, you have to charge this tax. And even when I hire freelancers, if you hire someone in Texas, you have to like pay a certain tax. Like, but I'm not in Texas or not in Texas. Or in Cal- I'm not in California. So fuck you, California. Like, what do I got to pay taxes for? Like, yep. that's, I'm like, I just don't, I just kind of stay off it. I'm like, well, I'm not hiring anyone from California now because fuck that. But like, I don't even know how to like, I mean, like, do I have to pay it? Do I not have to pay it? Like, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, not there. And, it, and it hits multiple different types of tax. So like maybe, right. maybe, maybe you owe sale tax, but maybe you don't owe income tax or maybe you owe income tax, but not sales tax. Right. Yeah. And I'm not, That's a big the other business where I'm going to, I'm not going to mess with it. I was like, okay, well there's other States. <laughs> Sorry, California. I'm not going no, to. No, that actually happens a lot. That's exactly what happens. So there's a, you know, yeah. a lot of this impacts, um, and business as you might imagine those who think about it or just like yeah it's it is kind of crazy and in the other thing is in u.s income tax you can usually get a foreign tax credit for tax you paid for income tax purposes but in the states there's no not necessarily a state version of that so you can get if you screwed up wrong in a state level double taxed on an income level right if you screwed up wrong you can actually get sourced to both two different states and pay tax on the same amount of income to different places same income. oh man yeah it's it, even at that level i just like okay i'm, I'm out of this like i'm not but yeah that, those are the puzzles i spend a lot of time trying to resolve well and there's probably no one clear answer huh it's just like every situation like oh could, last time it was this because this was going here but now it's this coming here it's different yeah i mean it's it's literally changes every single time like like yeah. and, and it's everything it's very facts dependent obviously yeah. lot of funded as well um, yeah. um but yeah like it definitely changes every scenario that's crazy because i i think about getting back into e-commerce sometimes but california man they're always the ones they're always the ones doing some some nefarious so i don't have any riders in california it's like I don't even have any clients in California and I probably wouldn't because it just seems like way too complicated. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think it definitely complicated. I mean, things, if you got enough, so that's actually a real question. Uh, actually happens a lot for us at international, not state level, but we'll say like, Hey, you can't go into this country because we're going to pay income tax there mm-hmm. uh if you do or if you can't go into the country this way like a lot of times if you do remote work you can kind of get away with it but if you do anything physical like you ship hardware in there like uh, if you're going to mm-hmm. sell hardware in there if you're going to have physical people in there almost certainly you're going to create a per- what's called right. a permanent establishment in uh-huh. state law it's called nexus it's pretty much a the nexus. same thing yeah yeah it's pretty much the same thing in both contexts but um in the international level we'll say like look, you can't do it unless you're going to make at least this much amount of money. And the reason is compliance costs alone will eat it up. Like we say like a million dollars is generally the rule. Like we expect you to make not in revenue, a million dollars in profit before we are willing to walk in there because we have to pay someone, if not either have to hire someone or we have to pay someone to file income tax returns there. And it's usually not, and we have to pay the tax, but the tax usually isn't that much. It's the, actually doing all the paperwork and filing right. and not getting hit with interest and penalties in order to sure we do all that. And that can be really, really difficult. And then a lot of these 
countries that we're not in are ones that are like not particularly safe countries. So like, and, and what I like to call them it's like the dictators, dictator countries or countries where AK 47s are pretty common. These ones yeah. tend to have really strict laws where like, if you screw it up, like you can send mm-hmm. someone to jail for it. Like, yeah, like it's not, it's not like, you know, here in other mm-hmm. most Western countries, like you screw it up, they're not going to put anyone in jail. They're not going to put an officer in jail or anything. They're just going right. to hit you with lots of interest and penalties and mm-hmm. it's just a monetary like fine, mm-hmm. which I get, but like, they're not going to like, but if like the director of the, one of the companies jumped off the plane, they won't just like go to their plane and grab them and throw them in jail or whatever. But right. like a lot of these other countries are a lot more extreme about that. Cause we're just not there yet <laughs> um, yeah. for those, partly for those kind of reasons, um, yeah. which definitely means we have to get it right. Yeah, because the risk um, goes up a lot more. Oh, yeah, there's a lot more high stakes. Because the last thing you want to tell is like is tell someone, like, you know, executive, hey, don't ever go to this country. We screwed it up, and if you jump off the plane, yeah, you're gonna go someone, to jail. Some some police might show up, and by police, uh, police in quotes. Yeah. Oh man, that's not that's. I wouldn't be good at that job. I remember. So a lot of times we uh, just stay out of those countries altogether. Like I'm pretty adamant that we just yeah. stay out of them. Uh, and good is like, crazy. it's very rare that we have anyone offering us to do business there anyway. It does happen, though. Right. Um, like, often if it comes up, it's because it's a big, giant global corporation themselves, and they have a small operation, like maybe one or two people in that country, and they want to get mm. everyone's service done to this contract, and we're just like, that that part of the contract we just can't do. We just have to yeah. find someone else. That's interesting. In that, in that home country who does that work and just let them do it. I remember I was like, I don't know, Europe has some law or whatever where you can't track people and our all of our clients are freaking out and they're like oh because you have to like ask all like you have to ask so much more permissions now and i was like why do we care i don't live in europe like it's not my problem like what are they gonna do come get me and like everyone it was oh man what was it called i don't remember it had a name that everyone would recognize and i was just like yeah, i'm not worried about it everyone's freaking out about it. i was like i wouldn't be very good at compliance just like fuck them i'm not over there <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not in charge didn't. of the company. Like, I don't. Do we even have any clients over there? I'm not listening. That's why every when you go to a website now, it, it always asks you, "Hey, we have cookies. You have to accept it because of a European law." And I was like, "I don't. We're not in Europe, man. Like, I'm not going to follow their rules." But we did. I think we ended up doing it anyways. It's probably a good idea. It's a good idea. Maybe a rule. like. As a general, I mean, I guess you follow European laws, but like we don't in general. So, but I like they could, but like, what are they going to do? They don't have any power over here. <laughs> that's that's how I thought about it. I was like, for, eh, for, and no one even reads it. Everyone just hits accept, anyways. So, yeah, exactly. Like, so just do it. Just do it. And stupid no law. It's dumb law. Like, oh, we got to let people know. No one's reading it. No one's reading it. Marketers are shysters, man. They don't care. <laughs> like bury they so don't. The marketer, the marketer, the marketer. I'm an marketer. well, I'm an ethical marketer, um, but most people are not. As I say, I just say fuck European laws. I'm the ethical. I know, one, I know. Right? That's what I'm about to say. I was like, wait a minute, you're ethical, but you're like, ah, don't, don't matter me. Yeah, well, I'm not stealing your information, so like, I don't. Oh, we really aren't. I thought that was part of the point of this podcast. Damn it. No, well, we would sell it. Well, we sell it. We advertise, but. I mean, <laughs> all 10 yeah. people. Yeah. Wait, Eventually. Yeah. Name, I mean, so. I'll, dude, I'll make the whole podcast an ad. I don't care if I could sell out. Um, but <laughs> at the same time, like 
there is a like the ethical way that's actually why i do a lot more content now i kind of got i mean i'm still an agency i still run an agency but it's a content marketing because i think content marketing is like one of the more ethical ways to do marketing it's not like all that tracking this that and the other it's just like how do i make like dope stuff and then like show it to people and they go like that's dope here's money like thanks like that's what i want to do right because like to me that's more ethical than a lot of what other people want to do and try to like sell you stuff and shoehorn all these things in there and try to like manipulate you. I'm just like, I'm, and I'm not going to manipulate you. I'm going to guilt you into paying for my stuff. I'm just going to like entertain you. And then you're like, Oh man, that was awesome. That was like a year of podcast. Here's a hundred bucks. Be like, hell yeah. Like that's what, like, that's my plan. So that's why I'm ethical. Not because I don't listen to European laws because I don't live there. So, <laughs> but we do, I do follow can spam laws. I do follow those, which are Canadian spam laws we do follow those because i think there's a u.s variant but like that's pretty important but they're also a lot closer so and now i do business in canada so that's if different business, if you definitely do business somewhere you definitely should care what you know, what the rules are there yeah well that i it's like that's pretty simple it's uh you just have to ask permission to send people emails which is pretty simple but yeah we follow because that you well but that like then the thing is like you can if you a lot of these big corporations like that i have to use they will follow those laws and then so i have to follow the laws de facto or like they don't let you use them that was something i noticed it's like you'll get you don't normally get in trouble for breaking a law because the intermediaries that you use who built the tools will like prevent you from breaking the laws so Maybe I just got a little lazy in the compliance department because I'm like, yeah, I'll just offload the compliance. Then I don't have to worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> now, is that is that not good uh, legal strategy? I mean, honestly, offloading it to a degree as long as you're picking the right people. I mean, we offload compliance occasionally, but like we try to like offload it to actual people that know what they're doing. Eh, I'm pretty sure Malchamp knows what they're doing. <laughs> Maybe. You would think. You'd hope so. You would think, but they're the ones who get in trouble. I mean, I don't do, I don't do, like, this is years ago. I don't really do any email marketing anymore. Um, like I said, I just post content because that, it's just more ethical. Then I don't have to, the reason there's all these laws around all this, like, tracking stuff is because it's a little, nah, it's not the most ethical. Selling, selling data for, selling your customer's data to advertisers. I don't know. I think that was like a mistake to go with the internet. <laughs> I do. <laughs> like you just, you should just pay for Like you go to the movies and you pay for the movie, right? I mean, they still put ads in there. <coughs> Fuckers. But um, like you just pay for, you just pay for the stuff you want. But then you have like Google and Facebook yeah. and Instagram selling all your stuff. Selling all your stuff. And ruining democracy. It's a mistake, man. Marketers ruin everything. That's why I'm here, because I'm a marketer. I'm going to save us from the marketers. (laughs) (laughs) You can trust me. (laughs) It's It's like what Trump said. Look, look, look. Everything's corrupt. I know, because I paid off all these people. That's exactly (laughs) That's why you should... That's why you should vote for me. We just cut out them. Just cut out the middleman. Just, <laughs> just, just let, let everyone. And then we just basically became a corrupt oligarchy for like. At least but four he told years. us, guys, it's corrupt. 
I've I've given everyone on here checks to do my shit. So why don't you just let me in? Save me a bunch of money so I don't have to pay off these fuckers. That was hilarious to agree. Like that was like I mean, as much as I hate Trump, like that was kind of just ballsy as crap. Like just saying like I know because I've done it. I played the game. Yeah. And then I like I was genuine and then I was like, huh, I sound like Trump right now. <laughs> <laughs> Look, guys, marketers are dirty. I've worked with them. They're all dirty. That's why you should just let me do all the marketing. Because I'm not I'm yeah. not dirty. <laughs> uh, I don't trust you. <laughs> no, 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 no. You should. I'm uh I'm not I I wouldn't. I wouldn't sell people's data. I would sell I would read them ads, but Anchor's probably stealing your data. Well, no, because if you're listening to this on the thing about podcasting, there's not a whole there's not like a lot of that like dialed in data about people yet. I don't know if there ever really will be because it's a lot of these platforms are built through RSS feeds, which we actually like, um, I think we have maybe Steve jobs to think because he didn't, he just kind of was like, whatever, like let it be an RSS feed, um, which like takes it away, takes it out of like any proprietary technology. You like, you can just log into any RSS feed and podcasts go out on RSS feed. And so you can just get the new podcast. Like you can, however you want, really. That's why there's so many different ones. And I think because of that, there's not like a lot of data that people are even, even able to gather on podcasts yet. At least like YouTube videos, like you can see like when people stop watching, you can see how old they are and stuff, but like podcasts, at least from what I've seen, uh, we don't have that granularity because, like every every platform might know, but that's different than like going back to Anchor, is it kind of thing? Right. Yeah. It may and maybe I don't even like the they probably tried. You know what I mean? But like I don't know if they report it back to any of the p- podcast people and the podcast people and the ads are done. Uh, companies pay the podcast producers or whatever directly for those reads, right? I mean, I know there's big networks. But really, it's still just mainly done in aggregate, like these giant CPMs. Like we have a thousand listeners. This is like what we charge to read an ad, and like that's kind of it. It's like very almost like TV back in the day, or like they kind of knew how many people were like watching, and like you just paid for that in the ad. But like you don't know, like did they listen to it? How many people listen to it? That's why there's a promo code in every ad you hear because that's the only way they can track it. And so in, in some ways, I think actually podcasting is like going to save us. Uh, it's like more ethical in that way where it's like, it's harder to steal people's information, uh, which, well, I don't know. I mean, they might, I don't know. Who knows? Those tech people are trying to ruin the world. So they'll probably figure out a way to do it. But for now, they're not there yet. Well, they are. They like go to Capitol Hill. No, we trying to give voices to the little guy says Zuckerberg as he ruins democracy. <laughs> All right. Um, before we wrap up here, um, don't we, uh, we were talking about maybe just doing sort of like a book club kind of thing, not yeah. like completely, but like maybe once every two months talking about a book that we actually both have read. Yeah. Uh, do we want to, do, do we want to make the outcome, the alchemy of finance the first one? Is that what we want yeah. To do? You, you, okay. You're still reading it, though, right? I'm still reading it, so it's going to be two okay. months from now. The other thing is, we want to give our viewers time to read it if they want to, right? Yeah, our listeners, I guess. Um, oh, that's a good, that's a good way to promote this podcast too. Um, so hey, join us. We'll figure out the exact date we're going to try to talk about it. Um, but plan on it from like two months from now. We'll start two months from now, I guess, probably uh, on the first one, and then we'll try to do one 
we're thinking about one book every two months. Because uh, the other thing is, honestly, I don't want to do more than that because I read more more books at once. Like I read a lot of books at once, so I just right. won't be able to get through. Same. Um, I do that too. Yeah, I'm like reading six books at a time, but then I don't. Takes me a while to and finish them. I think you and I both have like varied interests as well, so we'll have to find ones that we, we both want to uh, read in that time. But he's already read it. I have not. I just started it. Um, so let's play on the Alchemy of Finance by George Soros. Um, you can get it on Amazon, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that really just lost all of our conservative listeners. On it somewhere around two months from now, maybe six weeks. We'll see. Uh, we'll figure. We'll, Luke, I will talk about it and give him an actual more specific date. Yeah. Uh, when we figure that out, but we're gonna try to do that partly just to stay on top of it. And honestly, it'd be nice to have people who actually read the same books and actually we can talk about it because I feel like yes. I don't do that enough. Yeah, no, I don't do that enough. I would love that. I like when I was thinking of like content, like a podcast like that before we started the podcast. Like I need like something to do. Like I need a top. Like I was like books was like always at the top. Like talking about books. I just like I love books. I love reading books. So I'm super stoked to do that. So we'll do the Alchemy of Finance, talk about it in two months or so. Yeah. Any, cool. Well, yeah, we'll do that. All right. Awesome. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the I'd Rather Be Right podcast with Luke and Nate. Catch you next week. Catch you then.